This is the Tornado Trackers Podcast. The Tornado Trackers are storm chasers Jeremy Heyman, Jeff Mangum, and me, Gabe Cox. Hey, I'm Jeremy. I'm Gabe. And I'm Jeff. Welcome to the Tornado Trackers Podcast, Season 2. We are in Season 2, fellas. That's pretty incredible. They said we couldn't do it, but we're here. Who did? <laughs> who's, 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 they? who's they? <laughs> well, if you don't know, this is the Tornado Trackers Podcast. This is a podcast about storm chasing, severe weather, and the three best friends who are out here doing that, you know, storm chasing talking about weather constantly, texting each other, just obsessed with the the next great setup. Um, we, for years and years, we're on a text chain together, still are, but we we said, let's let's take this and make it real and, and, and publish it uh, to the masses. So that's what we are out here doing. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a fabulous guest that we are super excited to uh, get to chat with. But first... Um, something I've been meaning to check in about it, and it, it is a day that um, makes it especially appropriate to check in about um, today, not to date the podcast, but it is National Dog Day. Oh, um, I don't right. know if that's in the US or globally. <laughs> um, um, but Jeff, I know your family got a dog mm, over yes, the mm-hmm. last year. I've been curious, yes. how has that been going? Is that your fir- your family's first dog? It's it's the first like generationally first dog. My, I never had a dog. My wife never had a dog, wow. and so uh, I have a fifteen year old, eleven year old, and nine year old, and they uh, they just kind of bullied us into it. And so <laughs> last last October we got one, and he's still not puppy puppy stage, but he's 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 winding down a little bit. But it's uh it's one of those things where everyone says I love you so much, I love you so much, and I've gotten to a place where I say I like I I. I deal with you so much. I'm okay with you so much. I like you so much. And I'm not to love yet, but, but so far, so good. Kids love them. We're having a great time with them. So now we can participate in national or international dog day. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Maybe, maybe they can join us on the pod uh, one of these days. Uh, One of those new uh, rotating characters in season two, you know, uh, got to have it. Yeah. And we have, we have a Basset Hound named Jed, who is four years old at this point. And he actually will feature in an ep- upcoming episode in season two because. Oh, well. yes. That's right. <laughs> that uh, is right. Jed and I may have intercepted uh, together this year. Um, so look forward to that. Uh, <laughs> That's a special memory right there, buddy. Yeah. He's a, he's a low rider with uh, big old floppy ears and a loud <laughs> a loud bark. I'm usually wrestling him to put his bark collar on because yes, the, the cops have been called on us uh, three or four times uh, <laughs> That's fair. because That's fair. he is like kind of like a tornado siren uh, in terms of, <laughs> in terms of volume. So yeah. So happy, happy dog day. Happy dog day. I have no dog, but I will celebrate with you guys. <laughs> no dog. You have a, a succulent plant that you I have a succulent. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's bring in our guest. Um, we are so thrilled to have our guest here today. He he is one of our uh, heroes. So let me intro him. Tim Marshall is a storm chaser, civil engineer, and meteorologist, concentrating on damage analysis from wind and other weather phenomena. Tim has been chasing storms for over 40 years and has conducted more than 10,000 damage surveys of hailstorms, 
tornadoes, and hurricanes. Tim assisted in the creation of the Enhanced Fujita Scale, which aimed to improve the original tornado intensity scale. He was also a major contributor to the committee to update the Saffir-Simpson scale, which measures hurricane intensity. Uh, Tim has authored and co-authored numerous scientific publications in the realms of meteorology and civil engineering, and has also participated in many influential severe weather studies, including Vortex 2 and Rotate. Uh, Tim also served as the longtime editor of the very first storm chasing magazine, StormTrack. Uh, which I like to think of as maybe like the the, the proto uh, storm chasing podcast. Uh, <laughs> Tim now chases severe weather as a hobby, and he is a massive inspiration in our lives as severe weather enthusiasts. Uh, this podcast episode could just literally be me listing Tim's resume, so I will for sure cut to the chase. Uh, we're very honored to have him on the show. Welcome to the Tornado Trackers podcast, the legendary Tim Marshall. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. We are just very excited to have you on. So thrilled. You you don't know it, but you've played (laughs) roles in all of our lives uh, for for many, many years. Just your documenting of storms um, and being an advocate in the damage analysis world has has just been um, a huge influence to us. So, Tim, a question that we like to ask our guests on the Tornado Trackers podcast um, is, is what is the story in your life uh, looking back that you can think of or that you attach meaning to um, maybe when you were younger that maybe activated something in your, in your mind or your heart or your soul, uh, whatever you would call it to, to, to make you believe that, Oh, weather is something that I want to be in and around and study for the rest of my life. Do you, do you have an early memory, uh, kind of an, a weather origin story? So I was always interested in weather, and I really didn't realize tornadoes was going to be a thing until 1967 when my own town got hit with an F4. <laughs> and my mom took me around and drove me around, and I got to see the damage firsthand. She volunteered with the Red Cross to assist in the recovery, so we got to go into the damage areas. And, you know, for a, a 10-year-old kid, it was just I was overwhelmed at the destruction. I couldn't believe that this thing, which is just air and water vapor could do all this. Uh, that's how could that be? How can you take something as light as air and water vapor, which is in the air? How could you take that and make a tornado out of it? I did. So curiosity. And I was of a science mind. I excelled in science. My science teachers, you know, thought I was, uh, uh, Pretty pretty smart kid. Uh, my English teachers did not think so <laughs> properly. But I love science, and so I, I was in charge of the barograph in my my grade school. I mean, that was a hell of an honor. I mean, to be in charge of the barograph, I changed out the chart every week. You know, gave the forecast to the class. Uh, so yeah, I was known as the uh, Timmy the Weather Kid. You know, and as like. Uh, I was always interested. But after the tornado hit my town, I certainly was interested in this thing called a tornado. I was also interested in hurricanes and the destruction that they cause. And I wanted to learn more about it. So read all the books I could and decided I was going to be, if there, if you could be, uh, a meteorologist. I didn't realize at the time, yes, you could. I mean, other than a TV weatherman. Could you be more than a TV weatherman? So... I said, yeah, this is the field I wanted to, to be in at a very young age, you know, nine, 10 years old. Wow. 
That's that's amazing. And that's and that really echoes a lot of our stories here. Similar. Yeah. I think a lot of kids kind of catch that bug. And, and that's incredible that, you know, an F4 hit your hometown when you were 10 Illinois. years old. And yeah. Incredible. One Illinois, uh, a suburb of Chicago. And that's something you wouldn't think of tornado alley wise. No. no. So uh, but oh, it was wow. a wake up call to me that uh, I needed to find out more about this thing called a tornado. My parents had no clue whatsoever what a tornado was. I'm just like, hey, you better read up on it. I, I would love to hear about Grand Island, Nebraska. Um, I believe that, that was a time that Dr. Vegeta had invited you to be a part of uh, looking at some of the, the damage of that day. I could be wrong about that, but um, what stands out to you about that particular night? You know, they, it's, it's infamously known as the Night of the Twisters. Um, and I think that's a June 3rd. I forgot what year that is. It's my birthday, June 3rd. That's how I remember it. But yeah, 1980. Well, Dr. Fujita has been an inspiration. He develops this F scale based on looking at damage and seeing that there's different, there's variations in the damage. So he comes up with this five scale Fujita scale. It's a very empirically uh, derived, but I was actually in the atmospheric science department getting a master's degree at Texas Tech in Lubbock when the Grand Island, Nebraska disaster happened. And I was, uh, my mentor at that time is Dr. Richard Peterson. And he gets a phone call from the civil engineering department saying, hey, there was this disaster in Grand Island. We're looking for somebody to go up there and help us out. And we'd like to take a meteorology grad student if that's possible. So I volunteered. I, I, and by the way, yes, Fujita was going to be there. So Fujita didn't invite me. Okay. Indirectly, what happened was I got to go up and survey the same damage that Fujita was surveying. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, sure. So I didn't yeah. know too well these professors in civil engineering, although they have become my best friends now and uh, over the years. It's just, you know, this is a new thing for me. and. Dr. McDonald led the team, and he said to me that, you know, have you, ever, have you been able to find a job in meteorology? And I go, no, it's pretty much a dead end right now because Jimmy Carter was president, and it was like they had a freeze on federal hiring. I couldn't work anywhere. Well, why don't you think about going into engineering? Because if you like damage so much, you really need to know how buildings are built if you're going to know how they fall apart. I mean, you know that. So you should, you should have an engineering background. <clears throat> so over the time I was in Grand Island, Nebraska, I basically got brainwashed uh, <laughs> in a nice way. And I decided to, as soon as I graduated with my master's in meteorology, I was going to switch and go over to engineering. And I did that. So yeah, it's just an amazing ride. Wow. Wow. For, for people who aren't familiar with damage assessment, what is what does your job entail? What are you looking for when you go out to the aftermath of a hurricane or of a tornado? Um, what are what are kind of the the it's it's basically forensics for storms? Yeah, I mean, you have a destroyed building. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of information that can be gathered by that destroyed building. Uh, you want to find the critical connections. Not just the failed connection, but the failed connection that caused the failures or a collapse of the building or a kind of a cascade that started it all. 
And so when you go out to the building, you're looking for that critical failure. And that's the piece that's there. Now, to a lot of people, it just looks like a jumbled mess. But we can see, you know, through that. And that's the engineering side of saying, okay, you know, what are we looking for? What was the load path that transferred from this beam to that column to this base? And and there's the failure that we're interested in right there and hone in on it. And so that's really the key to the failure analysis part of it. And and historically, uh, and we can kind of take our listeners through this, there's something called with the F scale and then now the EF scale. And there's some work that is being done about even a more enhanced version of the EF scale. Is that correct? Yes. Um, And and so that's all based upon damage based upon uh, or we're surveying damage and saying we think winds of a certain amount hit a building and cause this. And we, we recognize that by looking at the damage itself. Is that correct? Yeah. The original F scale did not have any calibration to it from an engineer. It was simply taking two wind scales and dividing the increments by 12 nonlinear increments between Beaufort and Mach, Beaufort, a navigator scale, Mach, a aviator scale. And there was a gap between those, so Fujita filled it in and said, this is my F scale. Well, that's all good and well, but he didn't calibrate it to the damage. And what it, what wind does it take to knock down this kind of a building? And there's a lot of things that go into that, of course, the building type, how well it's anchored, you know, how well it's braced. You know, I call it the ABCs, the anchors, braces, connections. Those three things are really important. And then you can determine a failure wind speed. It's indirect, it's not, uh, but it's something that that can be done. So Fujita knew about this. He knew about the engineers involved with it. He knew about the criticisms on his F scale. And in fact, in his memoir wrote that he would calibrate the scale, but it, he just ran out of time. It's just not something that he could do in his lifetime. He was always in a hurry. So he left it to future generations to iron that out. So once Fujita passed in 98, McDonald and, and Miner and Amato decided, well, this is the time now to take this F scale and to go ahead and enhance that. And the National Weather Service wanted that because the, the Weather Service always wants to rate the tornado. That's part of their database. And they just don't want to assign a bunch of random numbers to it, you know, how do you really get a handle on whether a barn's destroyed? I mean, how bad, how bad, what kind of wind can you get from a, a destroyed barn versus a, a manufactured home versus a house? I mean, how can you deal with that? Well, the first attempt was with the EF scale back in 2004, 2006. The National Weather Service adopts this EF scale in 2007. So there you go. Boom, it's on the map. But it's very simple. If you go and Google it, and you can get the original EF scale document, you see it's pretty simple. It's got some bullet points about what a building is and that. It's got a few pictures, got a table. That's it. Well, the American Society of Civil Engineers, ASCE, said it's too basic. It's too simple. We really need to beef this thing up. We we know so much more now Mm -hmm. than we did over... Oh, back in Fujita's days, I mean, we've done 
hundreds of surveys and we have tremendous amount of knowledge about what wind it takes to knock down various types of buildings. They want to enhance the enhanced Fujita scale. <laughs> <laughs> so I got volunteered to be uh, head of a subcommittee on the original EF scale into boosted up 10 notches. Wow. So instead of like a 50, 60 page document, this is going to be a 500, 600 page document. Wow. It'll be extremely detailed, uh, amazing. And this started in like 2011. And we're 10 years down the road now. And we are probably <laughs> five years from even getting this thing published. Yeah, wow. probably a good. Uh, and, and I'm just getting tired because it's like we have <laughs> 80, 80 scientists, and to try to get 80 scientists to agree on anything, awesome. <laughs> no. it's impossible. <laughs> so it's a heck of a piece of work. And uh, wow, the you know it's going to be very complicated now. And unfortunately, I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible, but that's very difficult to do. Yeah. So yeah, there is uh, right now. Enhanced Fujita scale project is ongoing. It's 10 years yeah. in the making. Hopefully, it will be out another five years and it'll be an enhancement of the enhanced Fujita scale. They're not going to. They're not going to call it the EES. <laughs> just just getting enhanced. ease to it as the years go by. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And there's actually an open ended part of it that they're going to, for the next generation in 2045 and 2055, yeah, they plan to actually enhance the enhanced enhanced Fujita scale. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's something they do plan on, but I'm not going to be uh, here for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, as it is, this uh, may outlive me. I don't know, but uh, ho hopefully we can get this thing uh, published and out the door to the masses uh, before you know, it's my time. I, I love the way you described how Dr. Fujita <laughs> And how he did his F scale and then left it to those after him to kind of adapt and adapt and adapt. And as technology has become so superior in so many things, I think it's even just really good questions being asked. Uh, I know from a lot of storm chasers and, and meteorologists of uh, what's the role that radar plays and and things that I know that that's a lot of people don't realize that when when some someone says that's an EF3 tornado, or EF4 tornado that historically uh, radar uh, has not been used for that. And like being able to measure wind speeds has not been used for that. It's just been basically strictly from uh, the result of what the damage is. Is is technology going to be added into this EEF scale? Or is that yes. is that one of the kind of complicating factors? It, and it is definitely a complicating factor and an excellent question because uh, this is part of what's, what's making it so complicated. Yes, the F scale is a damage scale. The EF scale is a damage scale. The work that the ASCE is doing with enhancing the enhanced Fujita scale broadens this out. So it's, yes, it's a damage scale still, but it includes Dow data. It includes in situ mm. measurements. If you have a mesonet that it goes through, uh, why not include that? So... It includes even remote sensing uh, so that if you can go in by satellite and say, okay, I don't have time to look at 50,000 buildings, all right, but you can do it via satellite and satellite in some of these 
satellites are just amazing. They get down to the foot in wow. your resolution. It's just absolutely mm. amazing. And you can do mass neighbors. They even have uh, where you can ingest this into uh, AI, and, and AI can map every tree fall, and, and it's just like, whoa, just wow. crazy That's stuff. crazy. Yeah. Wow. You, you, could, you have a tornado go through the Appalachian forest and, you know, knocks down 100,000 trees. And, yeah. Well, you could either have that or a grad student sit there with a, trying to mark there. So there's the, this new publication that will be coming out in uh, five years, maybe 10, uh, will have all of that. We'll have a wow. tremendous amount. It, it's great. Josh Worman's on the radar committee. So nice. uh, that's, that's wonderful. We, we've got a great team. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful team. It's just that, you know, when you got 80 scientists, though, to try to mm-hmm. get them, uh, and this is all volunteer effort. So it's wow. like, you know, you have wow. to do this on your free time. So not easy to do. One of our favorite uh, videos of you chasing, uh, Tim, is I-, I believe you're dropping some pods in front of the uh, Sulfur EF3 uh, in Oklahoma. Can you tell us about what that technology is um, that you were trying to implement there? Yeah, uh, I've been very fortunate that uh, Josh Warman and Karen Kasiba have asked me to, to be on board with their projects five times. It's just a, a dream of mine uh, to, to serve with them because it's science at the, at the beginning of, of, of trying to get an idea of what winds are down low. So we take these instrumented pods, we put them in front of houses. The houses then blow apart and have a certain level of damage, and then we get the actual wind reading there. The owls can't really tell you that. The, the owls are instantaneous velocities at some height above the ground, and it's kind of a reflectivity weighted average velocity. So it's, it's not the true velocity. But what they can do is take that number and correlate it with an actual ob by a pod. Hmm. And then they can get some sort of, oh, kind of an empirical profile. Well, it's not so empirical. You got two data points. And by studying damages to buildings, you can get a good correlation between what it really does take to damage a building. You have a measurement actually for the first time. So they asked me to join uh, the project because obviously chasing tornadoes is a dangerous thing. Getting in front of the tornado and dropping a pod is very dangerous to do. And you need to have perfect timing and perfect, everything's got to work perfectly. And this is what grad students are for. I mean, this is what, what, (laughs) <laughs> what they need to do, but they just can't get a bunch of grad students to do this because you end up killing them. So it's like <laughs> you need to have somebody with some some experience, and they thought I had the experience to uh, not get them killed, to get out there and to deploy pods in front of tornadoes at point blank range, and then getting yourself safely out of there before it hits. So it's uh, it was an amazing uh, experiment. Sulfur day was an amazing day, and mm-hmm. we were initially on the Katy tornado, which was a small, narrow elephant trunk, very violent though. 
But you can't get in front of something like that because it's just a small elephant trunk and it meanders around. And we tried and we were dropping pods, but of course it's avoiding our pods. It's uh, yeah, yeah, because it's just a you know a couple houses wide is all it was and yeah, very intense. But the odds of getting a hit on a narrow elephant trunk is very difficult. But when we saw the thing reform and the meso reform, and I roared east. Uh, we saw that this wedge, multi-vortex, was forming. And for a large tornado, yeah, they, the odds improve on getting in front of that. The only thing is I need radar data because you get disoriented very easily when you got the sky spinning and you don't really know where that tornado is. And, and I need an actual call out of where this tornado is. You know, you got the tornado is here. You've got, you know, Two, three minutes, uh, you know, you got a best intersection is going to be at 377 and this road. And it's like, okay, you know, and I'm seeing this giant wedge and it's just coming right for us. And we managed to get one pod out. Uh, and when we dropped it, we were right there on the very edge of it, you know, and they're saying, there, get yeah. out, get out, get out of there. What are you doing? Well, we still have to drop a pod. <laughs> get out. Here comes Tim Marshall. Tim Marshall's right there. He's right in front of us. Yeah, that's he's deploying pods. He's deploying. He's setting pods. He's right there. Let's get a video of him doing that. Yep, Tim Marshall. He's right there. He's gonna deploy. Tim's Tim's in it. Tim Marshall is about to get. Oh my gosh. He's really close. Tim's really close there. Time is 4:56. Tim is right there. That's Tim. And there's the tornado, Tim in the tornado. Uh, wow, look how close he is. He's a boss, he man. He let it go by. He is a baller. He's getting incredible data. We're in it too. Tim's in it, we're in it. Now look at the house going there. We managed to get out of there just as the tornado hit. It was um, the house right where we uh, went right in front of. Uh, started losing its roof. Power lines were coming down, and we we come right out of the vapor that's uh, uh, swirling around the base of the tornado. And even Scott Peak uh, was way up on the hillside over there. I mean, he just couldn't believe how close we were. But we we literally got out of there, and and our own meso mass that we have recorded the rotation of the wind. Initially, wow. we had winds blowing out of the east, and then as the tornado was coming in closer, they started switching to north, you know, and then we drove literally in front of the tornado to get out of there, and then they switched to the southwest. So, uh, we just got out of there, and it was the closest call I've ever had uh, there, and we emerged out of the rotating vapor uh, unscathed, <laughs> fortunately. Power lines went down right behind us. We could see them coming down, and we were able to get, you see the pole coming down, we were able to drive before the pole hits the ground. That was wow. just amazing. Just really close, close. So it was as close as you could possibly get. But the uh, the Dow got great data, and we got great data, and they, they said, this is, a, this is a blue ribbon. They wouldn't give me a gold ribbon because it didn't <laughs> poor flow, but they gave me a blue ribbon for, for getting a hit. And we got a hit uh, also on Dodge City Day, oh, too. Wow. So, yeah. We've uh, just, you know, 
very difficult to get hit with a tornado when you want to get hit with a tornado. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's very <laughs> difficult to do. But uh, we did a, a great job that day. It was a, it's a compelling video from Scott Peake, who, who we, we, a good friend of ours. We, uh, he's usually one who's up close and personal, all these tornadoes, but it, just to watch science happening and the risk that it took was, it's really, it's a really compelling video to watch. So great job on that day, man. Yeah, Wonderful it was job. great. You know, and, and like I say, I, this is something now I think that they're still interested in doing, but it, it's, getting more and more difficult as the years go by there's more and more layers of bureaucracy because of safety issues certainly the fact that we've had fatalities already with chasers uh is is complicated that quite a bit uh you know i guess it's up to freelance chasers like yourself but but it's just like it's very difficult for a a project to get funded to do this anymore Mm. It's, it's not something that they see the odds of getting actual good data to be very rare, remote, and you know I think the future is looking at drones and drone intercepts. Mm-hmm. You know they're they're looking at at fleets of drones, get a hundred drones up there and let them s- circle the tornado and get wind readings that way, uh, or have little mini Dopplers on them or something. You know that's what the the future is out there, not not the old analog way of doing things. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you talk about the future. Uh, I'm curious to hear about the past. Um, so our chasing team, we're relatively young. Uh, we've grown up in the age of mobile internet and unlimited information while we're out on the road. Um, can you explain for us what it was like chasing in the seventies and eighties before cell phones? Yeah, let's take you back here. Okay. (laughs) No cell phones. That's a given. No internet. That's a given. How about no air conditioning? (laughs) <laughs> I had no air conditioning in my vehicle. So on hot days or dusty days, you had to roll up your window and turn on the uh, the blower. It would get extremely hot and uncomfortable in the chase car. Uh, when it rains and your inside fogs up, you know, because you're breathing in the air, even with the ventilation. Yeah, there's no air conditioning. Yeah? So uh, it made it, you had to crack the window a little bit, but... Um, yeah, it made it very difficult to chase uh, in in those kinds of environments. Plus, you didn't know what you were getting into. You have what you perceive as a hail core in front of you, but you have no idea that there could be gorilla hail in there, you know, until all of a sudden you see the white chunks splattering on the pavement, and then you may be too late. Uh, but, you know, it was all visual and here you are uh, hoping for a tea box, but you wouldn't know that you're in a tea box unless you're uh, the radio, AM radio, or you stop at a payphone, and which we had to do, stop at payphones. Uh, and with uh, that technology years ago, I had uh, a good deal with the National Weather Service in Lubbock uh, that I could call them, collect. They would accept the charges. You had to go through all that business. And then they would tell me, well, we have an appendage on this echo here, and, uh, you know, the storm cell collapsed in the last five minutes, so it's like, you know, that looked pretty good. It had a little hook on the bottom of it. You might want to check it out, and it's like, that's it, folks. Wow. You're getting it from the radar operator in, at the weather service, and, and that became increasingly difficult through the years to do because, you know, everything became more private there, they, and so you just not like you can just get on the phone and call up the weather service radar operators near the radar 
because can you imagine uh, thousands of chases would do that today? <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, yeah. So in those days, it was really difficult. You wouldn't know if a storm blew up 200 miles away unless you saw the anvil late in the day. You wouldn't know what happened. You wouldn't know until you got to your hotel room that night. Oh, there was a tornado outbreak in Northwest Oklahoma. You missed it. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. It's like you missed it. You had no clue at the time what was what was happening, and you were just sitting in clear skies in Plainview, Texas, all day. And yet, had <laughs> you known that storms <laughs> were developing, you might have been able to make it up there. And it's like, uh, so it was mostly miss, uh, and it was just dedication to, to get out there. And we stumbled on some phenomenal storms. Oh my gosh, that Pampa storm in 1982 was quite the doozy storm, producing tornado after tornado moving 13 miles an hour. So it was just like, yeah, you wow. could, you, a good, you know, those of you who jog, you, you could have <laughs> literally walked and ran pace with that storm. It was, <laughs> it was that moving that slow. You didn't need a car. So it's wow. like, yeah, you just set up your tripod and go again. Of course, back in those days, it was super eight. Uh, oh. And <laughs> yeah, the old, you have a three minute cartridge. That's it. Three minutes. <laughs> Gosh. And that's it. And then you're going to go ahead, change it out. And of course, on that day, I only brought like six cartridges. I mean, you know, 18 minutes. And then you just had to sit there and watch the next hour, hour and a half of tornadoes. You know, you don't have any more film. You got to be very prudent about what you were recording. Yeah, it's expensive, obviously. And you <laughs> want the 36 exposure roll slides, you know, on a college kid's budget. Yeah, we <laughs> You had to be pretty frugal about what you're taking pictures of and uh, that back in those days. So, yeah, many times we just watch tornadoes without taking much in the way of pictures of them. Yeah. I think what you're saying is uh, modern chasers have nothing to complain about. <laughs> oh, their bandwidth goes down. They're losing yeah. signal. Oh, isn't that. So, yeah, just follow the line of car, okay? <laughs> you don't need the radar. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Incredible. You said the word dedication, and that's, yeah, dedication with a capital D. You have to want it and to want to be out there. Absolutely. I was born with a passion uh, of, of storms. Storms is what I love. I love hurricanes, tornadoes blizzards but uh as i got older less so blizzards but uh the, the sort of thing is i'm just interested in the extreme weather end of things always have been and always mm. will as long as i can chase i'll continue to chase you know i'm not uh, uh, going to chase everything i'm not you know i'm going to give up some big days i'm going to not chase any hurricanes on the east coast uh, i just don't like chasing over there i've done it before and and I don't want to do it anymore. To me, I'm just going to, mm. anything that comes in the Gulf, okay. But nothing on the East Coast. Tornadoes, kind of the same way. If there's going to be an outbreak in Wisconsin or Northern Illinois, I'm not going to be there. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm I, I'm going to be, I'm a plains person. I, I love the open plains and, and that way, you know, I, I'll go to the Dakotas every once in a while. But certainly I, I like Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and of course, Texas. Eastern Colorado is great. So, you know, like that. If it's in Arkansas or the Dixie Alley, I'm not going. I'm not, I'm not heading over there. Yeah, you can see these outbreaks coming days in advance. I'm not going to go there. 
know, let let the yeah, chasers but... have their sixty seconds of tornado crossing the road in front of them. <laughs> and it's just like it's true. Oh, you know, there's the trees. You know, in the, in the here, there's your window. Oh, okay, there's the tornado. There it goes. Okay, that's it. <laughs> Isn't that great, Chase? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that doesn't do it for me. Uh, sorry, I, I'm a planes person. I'll stick to the planes. Yep. You talked about your your passion for for weather and that just driving you. I, I remember the first some of the first footage I saw of yours was on Tornado Video Classics Three, uh, old VHS tape that my my parents bought me for Christmas. And there was this one segment, they were kind of doing a countdown of their top chaser videos. Uh, number three was El Dorado, Kansas, May 26, 1991. And just this epic cyclic supercell dropping tornado after tornado. And your voice in the background, it was the first time I felt like there might be someone else like me in the universe. Because <laughs> even as a kid, I, I was trying to think like, am I weird for enjoying tornadoes this much? Um, and then hearing your passion in that video and just getting so excited, I was like, yes, this guy gets it at least. <laughs> and it just felt like it, it made me feel normal watching that video. But can you describe that day? Because I think you saw, what was it? 10 tornadoes? That yeah, day? There, were, there were 10 in a row there. The day was very bizarre. Uh, is the day of the storm track picnic. We were going to have the picnic at my house on that day. And I told everybody, uh, 91, so there was internet. We had very cryptic internet. But I told everybody I would make a decision that morning by 8 o'clock whether or not we're really going to have this picnic or not. So at 8 o'clock on the morning of May 26th, I said, it's a no-go. It's a chase day. We're not having the picnic. So I watched it, and I said, okay, I'm going to plot some maps and then i said i'm going to leave about about noon and head to wichita i thought i saw this boundary in southern kansas so i i left uh, and i believe i was by myself i'm I'm, i think and i went up to wichita and as i was approaching the kansas state line i could see this cb with an overshooting top look phenomenal absolutely boss storm blowing up on the boundary and then i get up there and the storm croaks just dies and i go oh my gosh i'm all the way up here now i'm just north of wichita and i just busted big time but i'll just hang because it was you know five o'clock or so maybe something else will go off and sure enough about six o'clock Another storm develops southeast of Wichita, or kind of east Wichita, near El Dorado. So, hey, that wasn't so bad. So, I went over there and sat and watched it. It slowly got its act together. David Keller comes driving up to me. And he says, hey, Tim, how you doing? And he pulls alongside me, but there's nothing there except Bar Ditch. And he goes into the bar ditch. His back wheels come up like this. His car is almost vertical. Oh, no. And he looks over at me and says, guess what? You got a chase partner. <laughs> <laughs> the apron that you pulled off is only so wide, and it was just room for one car, mine. <laughs> and he thought that apron continued, but it was all weeds and things. But it was a deep bar ditch. And he oh, gosh. literally 
he he literally has only two wheels on the ground. Okay, uh, his back end of his car was in the air. So he joins me, and then what we've got to see is ten phenomenal tornadoes in a row. Very nice, very nice tornado, very nice. It's on the ground. Look at the churning on the other side of the lake. Look at the churning on the other side of the lake. It's just across the, the bridge from us. Take some great photos. These people are crazy to go forward. Look at that. All right, we've got a funnel down to the southeast. This storm is going crazy. All right, tornado southeast and tornado east. We have two tornadoes on the ground simultaneously. All right, tornado number eight. The tornado number eight. Tornado number nine. Tornado number 10. Tornado number 10. Just what makes a storm like this go mad? Absolutely spectacular through dark. I drive back to Wichita afterwards. He gets someone to finally a tow truck, drive him back to this rural area near El Dorado to get his car dug out of the ditch at midnight, you know? And while well, I, I bunk in it at, uh, at uh, Wichita, and then I get this text, kind of a text, I guess, I don't know how it was on the computer or whatever. Tim went to your picnic. You didn't show. Where <laughs> were you? It was Marty Feely. He shows up for the picnic at my house. Oh, gosh. get my message. <laughs> and he missed the outbreak. And it was like, oh, boy. So it's like, sorry, not sorry. Sorry, you know, sorry about that. Uh, some of these days like that are crazy. David Keller having a get a tow truck driver it said it cost him $75 which back in those days is a lot of money oh yeah to get a tow truck driver out of Wichita to go up to El Dorado to, to winch him out of a ditch at 2 30 in the morning and uh <laughs> there is what, what craziness this is that we have a hobby yeah yeah <laughs> it is it is insane isn't it <laughs> and that storm was amazing because the the tornadoes it produced were so picturesque high contrast i mean you mentioned it was getting dark but the lightning was illuminating them and flashing yeah. inside of the funnels um i just wish i had a 4k camera you know we're dealing with you know vhs cameras with the big huge bulky cameras uh <laughs> in those days a horrible quality you know i thought at the time it was phenomenal quality you know uh, but we look at it now and go, that's pretty horrible quality. But, <laughs> uh, you know, the, right behind me, this stack here, this is all uh, uh, mini DV. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, over here, this is all high eight. Remember the high wow. eight? Yeah. I have an entire wall of VHS, uh, literally a wall over here of VHS tapes. And then, you know, I went uh, totally digital back in like 04, 05. So, Everything now is, is of course, MP4. I got it transferred or AVI, all those formats that I have from from that point on. I hope I hope all those tapes are converted because that's 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 gold right there. Uh, they are sure not. Have... And, and this is the thing about it. It's like, gosh, uh, you know, I'd I, I'd like to get them converted. Uh, fortunately, I still have the cameras with me. Uh, and I just have to have the time to sit down and convert them 
there's some really good stuff. I mean, really stuff that, you know, and I, I don't post stuff on YouTube, but, you know, one day somebody may do that, but I, I've got a lot of this stuff that really needs, needs to be digitized. I also have a uh, Super 8 film. Wow. If anyone's listening and wants to volunteer for that gig, that's you know, right. maybe we can connect you uh, because that's a, that's, a, that's a doozy of a task, but I think completely worth it. I'd even pay somebody to, you know, give me a price on, on, on doing some of this. What, it would, what would it take to, to take a 90-minute a mini DV tape and convert it in digital? You know, if somebody would do that, I, I certainly uh, would, would like help. Yeah, that's a treasure trove of, of video footage. We got to get that out there. Seriously, we need it. Absolutely. I think we just, I think we just maybe launched a potential mission for, for our listeners <laughs> out there. So I hope, hope we can make something uh, work there for you, uh, Tim. Tim, I have uh, one. I know we want to uh, be respectful of your time and, and not keep you too much longer. I do have one question. I think that something we've all had conversations about within our team and just really curious in, in all your years of doing storm surveys. Um, and maybe it's not even a fair question to ask because you've seen so many destructive um, uh, moments and, and places. But what is uh, I don't know how, how to best ask this, but what is the most. Uh, intense destruction or intensity of what you would say wind speeds were that you've ever come across? Yeah, the high-end tornadoes, and there's been many of them, you know, to, comes to mind, Gerald, which mm. literally dug up the dirt. Uh, it was high-end, slow-moving, that's why. Yeah. Very intense tornado, over three minutes over a, a house, uh, ripped the flooring off that you know from a slab uh the everything was just completely slabbed right down took the commode took the tub you know, really took the landscaping uh people were ground up the corner mm. told me that uh just they were body parts everywhere there was just a gr grinding up uh they would not find a whole body wow you know, just pieces there Gerald was certainly a, a high-end event. Uh, uh, Bridge Creek in 99, another high-end event. Ground Scour, Joplin was a tremendous destruction. Uh, you could take a Google Streets uh, of the neighborhood and see tree-lined streets of houses, eight houses a block, and it just took it all, everything, wow. for miles. It just like a mower. It was like... Uh, very, very little in the way of uh, EF one, two, three damages because it was though that was on the periphery, but it, yeah. it looked like it was fours and fives right through, uh, mm. you know, six miles of of city, and it was densely populated. Yeah, there were a lot of wood frame houses, but big trees and tree lined streets just ground up, and so Joplin was another. Another big one. So there's been some of these fives that I've seen. You know, there were a couple in Alabama too that that mm. were just really nasty. Mm -hmm. Wow, wow. Do you have any advice for 
the next generation of of scientists or chasers out there you know like the the the, the little 10 year old you know who who was like you um who kind of has a fascination or the chaser who you know 16 17 18 got their first car and has a smartphone and is excited to get out there do you have any advice for the young people who are interested in meteorology or storm chasing or even engineering well it's the same advice when i started out read all you can you have so much more now at your fingertips that I can go online here and I can access a journal. Uh, you know, it's just amazing. I can do that. I, I can read about tornadoes. I can order a book on tornadoes from Amazon, both places. So it's like you, you, you have a tremendous resource available. It's the Internet. And, you know, use it. And then as far as starting out, I didn't have anybody to chase with. I, I mean, to me, it was... I didn't really know what I was doing. I was going out there chasing rain shafts for the first <laughs> few years. David Hoadley would tell you that he went out there, really didn't have a, very much of an idea what was going on either. We were all kind of going for this thing. It reminds me kind of the, the, the Pulse Encounters movie, you know. <laughs> we all had this idea about what it was, but they didn't know exactly what it was. And they, you know, it was like they, they had this premonition, but you know, it was not a lot of knowledge there based. But yeah, so now with thousands of chasers, go with somebody who's experienced. I mean, that would be another great piece of advice. Learn from somebody who's who's done this for a while and you get the, the better play. We all, you know, get in trouble every once in a while, even the most experienced ones. We, we've seen that happen. But it's like, uh, you know, you just got up try to be safe about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. And and your life mirrors that advice, I would say, is as finding people who, you know, who are already there, who you look up to and look for those kind people because they're usually kind, not always, yeah, but that's right. look for the kind ones. Um, look for the patient ones. Um, that's, that's our stories too. Uh, absolutely. So and we have these, these are conferences. We have these podcasts. I mean, there's so many avenues to, to listen and learn from people. Uh, that, that's, that's amazing. There's, there's no uh, excuse for somebody who doesn't have a clue what they're doing now. A days. I mean, it's, you, you should have an idea. And if you don't have a clue, you shouldn't be storm chasing. So it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, amen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Tim Marshall, thank you so much just for your time and um, sharing everything that you did t with us today. It's just such, so fascinating. You've had such an incredible career and we, we look up to you a lot, even though we've never met you in person before, but I hope you know that um, you have influenced our lives. Just like Gabe said, you know, you were, you were on a stray VHS compilation. Um, and so we just so appreciate everything you do. And, and we only see, you know, the tip of the iceberg of, of what you what you've done, obviously. So we would love to have you back to, you know, continue this conversation down the road. We want to dive in more. So thank you so much again for your time. OK, maybe I'll see you guys down in the Morgan City or Homa. Yep, that's we'll probably going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yep, it'll happen. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Tornado Trackers podcast. Um, we're just three normal dudes making a podcast and uh, it really touches us that it means a lot to people out there. So thank you for um, listening and being engaged. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you again, y'all. We will check you in two weeks. See ya. See ya.